1: Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we have got a WWE Hall of Famer as our guest. When they talk about the greatest managers of all time, this man is on every single list, WrestleMania one to WrestleMania nine, He's out there multiple times on every single event. He is the mouth of the South, Mr. Jimmy Hart. Jimmy, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, guys. Man, I love you guys. If I had a tag team now, y'all would be it, and our name would be the U-Haul Brothers.
3: <laughs> yeah, man, it's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Uh, you know, uh, you've uh, you know, I've been a fan of yours since uh, probably about the time John was born. You know, when you were with the Gentrys coming out with the rock and roll music. You know, I was I was so honored and privileged to meet you in Memphis at that time that you were actually uh, Jack and I's manager. a couple. Well, a quick story here. We thought we were Jerry, meeting a rock and roll
2: star, you know. <laughs> no, Jerry Lauder goes, Look, I want you to go to the airport. Tonight you're gonna to be managed to the Briscoe brothers. I went, Oh great, this is good. So I go pick them up. They said, Hey buddy, how you doing? I said two things for us. Yes, sir. Would like a six-pack of beer the time the matches are over? Yes, sir, got it. And he said, Make sure Lauder puts us on early because we gotta make room service. I said, You got it, baby. <laughs> So Jerry, so Jerry, you never
1: decided, never wanted to get, be part of the gentrys because uh, Lawler wanted to be part of the gentrys. I think.
3: Well, uh, Lawler, you know, he, he, he his singing voice is, is is not the quality of Jimmy's, of course, and that's the reason he invited Jimmy to come along and sing background so he'd make Lawler's voice sound a hell of a lot better than what it really is. <laughs> hey, hey, be careful what you say, Jerry.
2: Might hear this. I don't want to get another broken job
3: for real <laughs> you know what tell us about that broken jaw i mean that, that that's a great story to start out with you know well
2: what happened is jerry had broken his leg playing football on a sunday afternoon and um at the time i was just kind of managing jerry standing behind him just going right king you got a king you're the mad king that was basically it well what happened jerry uh was playing a, a football on, on a sunday before our monday show and he broke his leg on all the newscast and everything, you know, breaking news, breaking news, Jerry Long breaks leg. I mean, it was everywhere in, in you know, Memphis locally. So Jerry, Jarrett had called me and said, look, Jimmy, he said, we can be in a major mess if it's true. And I said, yeah, it was true. He goes, were you playing? I said, no. Cause he said, if you've been playing ball, you know, I, you'd have been fired too. And I said, I wasn't playing football. I was sitting there watching TV. He goes, well, look, we don't know how this is going to work out. We've never had a territory without Lawler even being the hottest heel or the hottest baby face, either one. And he said, we're going to have to put a rocket on you and make sure that you uh, can carry this load for us. It scared me to death. So what happened? We went to Louisville, Kentucky, Dave Brown, Lance Russell, uh, Bill Dundee was there, myself, and we kind of went over what we were going to say this first Monday with me kind of being a major part of the show. I mean, it's Saturday, excuse me. So I go up there and we go over this interview about what I'm going to say. And I was a nervous wreck, I'll tell you that. And um, we get to the show on Saturday and they go, well, look, time for Jimmy Hart to come out now. Jimmy, Lance Russell goes, look, Jerry Lawler, whether you hate him, whether you love him, this is his confident, you know, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy, can you give us some details on Jerry Lawler's accident? And I said, Jerry who? And the audience right away went, ooh. And then I said, look, what do you do when a racehorse breaks his leg? You shoot him. He's no use to Jimmy Hart anymore. Lauder's in the Baptist Hospital watching this as we speak now. So Jerry, eat your heart out, baby, because this is the new reign that we're going to have here in Memphis. Today I'm crowning the brand new king of professional wrestling. It's either going to be Precious Paul Ellery, who I was managing at the time. It's going to be Handsome Jimmy Ballet, who I was managing at the time. And I believe it was the Iron Sheik who I was managing at the time. Uh, king Kong Bundy, Joe Duke, or, or some of those, it's a little vague. So I brought them all out and I crowned Paul Ellering, the king of wrestling. When I did that, we got Dundee in the ring and we were hitting him with straps and straps and straps, all of us were. And Handsome Jimmy, I said, Handsome Jimmy, come out and get you some, baby, come on. Handsome runs out. Of course, you know what happened. He took the strap from me and started beating all of us. So that team, Dundee and Jimmy Valiant up together against Two of my men, whichever one it was going to be, whether it was going to be me and Paul Ellering and, uh, and uh, Bundy or me, Paul Ellering and the Iron Sheik and all the cities. And it really worked for about four months. You know, we did great crowds off of it until we could get Laura back almost a year later.
1: You know, you know a lot of people don't realize that Paul Ellering was he was quite the uh, wrestler as well. You know, he was a big jacked up guy. You know, he's competed in the Iditarod. He's he's a world class athlete. And a lot of people don't know that because so many people just remember him from being with the Road Warriors.
2: Well, Paul's great. What we did, we bleached his hair blonde and we turned him around down there because he had the muscles. But when you're a muscle guy you're really tough, you really don't get a lot of mileage out of that. So we made him more of a muscle guy, but cheated a little bit, begged off, got in the corner. Oh, please don't hit me when the guy looked at the audience. Should we hit him or not? Then he did a little sucker shot and then took over with that. But we drew good money with him. But I love being with Paul. Paul, I got to tell you the story you know, my home was there. and I said, Paul, you, you want to stay with me? He goes, no, I'm going to sleep in my van right out in front of your house. I'm going to plug my electricity into your, you know, electricity thing, and I'll cook out here and eat out here. But he was always welcome to stay there. But I love Paul. Paul was so
3: great. Oh, Paul, Paul is fantastic. Jimmy, though, you know, that, that, that's, we, we started with the wrestling story, but you know what I really find fascinating is you're one of the, probably one of the few people left that actually toured with Dick Clark uh, kind of, you're you, you were in high school and you had a, what a billboard top 10 record. I uh, would walk us through that gentry uh, stage of your life and how that kind of transferred okay. you over to getting your jaw broke by the King.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I, Jimmy, I do want to come back to this because uh, the King was not too happy about the promo you cut. So we'll get back to it in a minute, but we're going to, we're going to
2: show that for a second. Well, well, what happened, I was at Treadwell High School. Jerry Lawler also went to Treadwell High School. He went into wrestling, I went into music. This is a story we can talk about later, but what happened is um, we had a band together called The Gentries, and um, we got out of the last period, recently we put the band together so we could get out of study hall to go practice every week, right? Because we entered a show, at, uh, a talent contest that was a local thing that was in uh, Memphis every year at the fairgrounds. So if you join, and if you won the talent contest, you got to go to Miami beach, Florida and appear at the Jackie Gleason theater. Uh, and the winner of that would be on a, a show called Ted max, original amateur hour, which was really like American idol now. So lucky us we go, we win the first show there. We win the second show. We win the third contest. So we won. So they sent us down to Miami beach, Florida to appear at the Jackie Gleason theater. And we filmed a nationwide show called Ted max, original amateur hour. So, um, we won. It took three weeks to find the winners. We won the first one. We went, oh, my God. Came back to Memphis. Man, we were local heroes. Everywhere we went, set out little crowds in the in the uh, YMCA's and all the goldsmiths and all the clothing stores. We play all those shows like that. And so, man, we were we were like the Beatles in. We didn't know who the Beatles were. Right. So then um, that took place. So we went back down again. We won the second time. You know, a month later, they bring us back down. The Jackie Gleason Theater. We won the second time. Three weeks later, they called us, You won by landslide. Oh my gosh, this is great. Now, in the meantime, we met a guy by the name of George Klein. George Klein, if you look in the books, it's is Elvis Presley, one of his best friends at the time. So, uh, George Klein said, Look, a friend of mine just came into town and he said, uh, He's opening a studio called American Recording Studio. So, he said, If y'all go over there and cut a record, a demo, I'll put you on. My uh, talent party, which was a local show, kind of like American Bandstand, but locally. So we went over, we cut Time Is On My Side by the Rolling Stone. We went on, they videoed us. We, we did the song on there, which was great. So then we came back and, and uh, Chips goes, look. He said, I'd like to cut a record on y'all. No big long-term thing. We'll, we'll press 5,000 copies and put it out. And if it goes, great. And if it don't, then I'll just eat it. I said, okay, great. So we went in and we cut a B-side. But on the other side was called Keep On Dancing. So I'll cut to the chase on this. So locally, the stations every morning would play 10 of the local hits live on the radio, right? And the kids from the high schools would call in. So all of a sudden, Keep On Dancing was getting four or 5,000 phone calls every week on, on them playing the record. So he got a hold of MGM Records out of New York. They flew in, they met with us, and then heard the song. They said, Well, look, this might be a flute because y'all are from Memphis. He said, What we'll do. We're going to release this record in Nashville, Tennessee, see if it sells, and we'll release it in Knoxville, Tennessee. I said, okay. So they released it both places. All of a sudden, it was going crazy, six 6,000 copies in every city. So they signed a record deal for us, and they put it out nationwide. So then one of our first gigs was touring with Dick Clark. So uh, Dick Clark got a hold of us, and we were on there with the Young Rascals, the Shangri-Las, Joe Tex, Mitch Ryder, the Detroit Wheels. And that was our tour that traveled around for like a month, doing all these Dick Clark tours on buses, promoting their records, our records, and do good crowds too. So uh, that's how it all got got started with Dick Clark. And then, you know, it came, we had four different albums out. We had a lot of different singles, but that was our biggest one. It didn't sell a million right off the bat. It got up to number four. But then over the years to come, it wound up selling over a million because of, you know, being on the charts for like 52 weeks. How old were you then, Jimmy? Oh, my God. Well, we just got out of high school. I think I was like 18 or 19. But you toured some while you were still in high school, right? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. While we were in high school, we did um, a lot of the, the hops, you know, without having to hit record. You know, we went to Jacksonville, Florida, and Daytona Beach, and um, – uh missouri towns mississippi you know wherever the records being played we went there but that's what happened me for wrestling i always loved the wrestling so much a quick story i first knew about the wrestling my uncle jb who lived in jacks mississippi he came up to memphis and every summer i get to go spend two weeks with him well we went to see professional wrestling down there and that's when i fell in love with it it was just awesome and um, when i got in the band i'd always if we went to georgia Back with the Dick Clark tours, I'd get up early in the morning and watch uh, Florida championship wrestling. If we went to the Carolinas, it was watching Ric Flair and them. So every time we'd be Texas, about you know, I watched all this. I just would sit up uh, while the band slept in different rooms. I'd sit and watch my wrestling. I just loved it, you know. And so when Jerry Lawler called me later on uh, to do stuff with him and the music, uh, it was just a, a a dream come true for me. What was it like, uh, Jerry, being in high school? And being a music
1: star, I guess you were making pretty good money at the time, especially nobody else in high school I'm sure was making anything other than maybe bagging groceries or, or working a little bit somewhere else. But uh, how was
2: it being a music star being in high school? You know, it was unbelievable. I don't think we realized so much of it at the time. What happened was, um, you know, we'd go to class and everything. And, of course, thank God, all the girls, you know, would be, you know, kind of around all of us, which was great. And, um You know, we had a lot of privileges done. You know, if we needed out of study hall, Mr. Mabry, our our principal back then would let us out of study hall for it. And I remember one time he wasn't going to give us our diploma. He said, look, if y'all boys don't cut your hair, we ain't going to put you on that stage to get the diploma. And Larry Raspberry, our leader of our group, he goes, he goes, well, Mr. Mabry, we're on stage all the time, anyhow, so you can just send our diploma to us in the mail. I went, like, oh, my God. But, but uh, that was the truth. So we got to pull our hair back a little bit because at the time, the Beatles were real popular. And the way we did our hair was kind of like the Beatles, you know. So uh, it, it, it was pretty cool back then, really. But I don't think I realized so much was happening until you get a little bit older in life. Then you realize that. And you see, I played high school football before that for the Treadwell Eagles. I was a wingback. And I was, at the time... I didn't play my senior year because I quit to do the band. But um, uh, what I did is I was seventh in the city, like I said, on pass receiving, like twenty-three yards of carry. And I still have the clipping because I know a lot of people say if Jimmy Hart's lips are moving, he's lying. But I still have the clipping. <laughs> I still have one of my programs that showed me playing first string, and uh, and so that's one of my prized possessions I have, you know,
3: on my wall. Well, that, that's something I didn't know, man. You get breaking news right here on Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. Jimmy Hart was all Memphis, uh, and uh, Memphis is known for great, uh, great football players too. You know, coming out of their school system there, and the Memphis Tigers there. But uh, your your musical background—you just didn't wake up one day. Your mom wrote a, a hit song for one of the the most famous Red Foley, right? Uh, for one of the most famous uh, singers uh, during that generation. Well, you were close. It was Eddie Arnold. Eddie uh, Arnold. Um, yeah, Eddie Arnold. Yeah. But, that's, but, but we met Red Foley a couple of times when
2: he'd have the Ozark Jubilee coming through town back then. And my mother said, can my boys sing? And they got me up there singing through some kind of thing. And I was about 12, 13 year old back then. And they curl she curled my hair and I sang 16 tons. And we got to meet Elvis on that show, believe it or not. Elvis was there in the back. And I remember Elvis came up to my mother and goes, you know, I've got a pair of cufflinks like those earrings. I went, oh. but it wasn't a big thrill to me because I didn't realize how big Elvis was going to be later on and was big then too. But uh, Tom Parker is the one who managed Eddie Arnold back then and Elvis. So Tom Parnells the one, Tom, uh, he's the one that got my mother the record deal and Tom Parker did. So it was all kind of crazy, the musical background for her. And, that. and you know, it was so funny, my mother's record, and Close One Broken Heart got to be number four. My gentry song got to be number four on Billboard.
1: Your mother, your mother wrote several songs. Did, did was she a musician also? Did she also play and
2: sing? Well, you know, she just kind of tinkered at it. But you know, after my daddy left us, you know, back when I was very, very young, they moved to Alabama. She didn't want me to grow up in Alabama with all the moonshine and stuff. Because that's how they made the living being truthful. And I I realized that later on in life because, but um, but what happened was, um, so we moved to Memphis. We had a little one room thing with a bathroom, a little kitchenette, and everything. And and so she slept in the little bed thing we had there, and I slept on the floor. Uh, we didn't even have a couch, if you want to be truthful about it. But uh, we had a little, we had the little blankets on the floor and the pillows on the floor. So that's why we really knew it. We didn't have a lot happening in our life, money wise or anything. And so we, uh, uh, for me to to get my clothes and stuff, I had to work at school. I'm talking about grocery store, you were right when the football. Pre- practice over. I went to work at pick pack grocery store, packing groceries and selling them and, and, uh, you know, not selling them but packing them and taking them out to the car and everything. So I'd work that till nine o'clock at night and do the cleanup thing. And I did it so good. They made me bottle boy and I got to do all the bottles and, and everything. And so then I did so good. They made me stocker. So I got to made a little bit more money, made me stock, you know, stick all the cans and everything, stocking everything. So, um, that's how we did it. And then what was so funny I still love wrestling so much. I knew they had wrestling at the old Ellis Auditorium. So I'd walk about, I guess, maybe six and a half miles every night when it was safe to walk somewhere. So every Monday, I would walk to the um, Ellis Auditorium. And back in that day, Sputnik Monroe and Billy Wicks were having the big fights for the Cadillac. And so I'd go and I'd stand outside the door. And then come up, Mr. Coffee, went and go, you, 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 sell popcorn, you'll sell Coke. So I always got to be the Coke guy. So if I sold my five trays of Coke tonight, my limit at 24 Ks, I think I made 25 cents a tray for selling them. So I'd make a, a $1.50, right? So I'd get my $1.50, but I get to watch the main event. So I always hustled everything doing that. So I get to watch the main event with the Von Brauners and Al Spider to Galento and Sputnik and Billy Wicks and Tojo and all Limb. So I just had always loved the wrestling. Never knew. I've never really had a plan for my life. I didn't plan anything for music. Didn't plan anything for uh, uh, wrestling or anything. It's just all kind of fallen into place. So I've been blessed.
0: And I'm last number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Whew.
1: So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. With Blue Chew, men everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. They'll always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? It's time to get off the couch, Back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, head to BlueChew.com. Guys, there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue Chew can give you the confidence
3: where it counts.
1: Were you making money in high school? You, you're about working at the grocery store. Well, i a we, lot at
2: home. Yeah, when well, I worked, I worked that I I music. Club. Yeah, right. When I got the music, we made pretty good on the music. We'd play locally before we got exposure on Ted Mac. But, you know, we do all the sock hops like T. Walker, Lewis, YMCA and a lot of a lot of the clothing stores. And so there were seven of us back then. The original group had seven. Then when we went on the road, it bought, went down to six. One of our guys left to be a doctor, which became a good doctor, Jimmy Johnson. So we left and uh, but we were doing good money. You know, we're making, you know, four or five hundred bucks a week just locally by doing this, working on Friday or Saturday, you know, and which was good back then. So, you know. We used to go to Crystal, man. Let me tell you what, for six cents, Crystal, six cents back there, man. So I'd I'd fill up with my Crystals and my little one slice of lemon pie and my Coca-Cola and my French fries. and I was living in heaven, man. Jimmy, that had to be the coolest time because Memphis
1: was the hub of everything music-wise. It was a hub of soul music, it was a whole country. I mean, he had
2: some of the greatest people in the history of music were going through there at the time. Well, Isaac Hayes played on our first album. He didn't have any hits back then the shaft and everything. The horn players were a group called the bar who later on played on every hit that came out of Memphis. Soul, commercial, everything. And so we didn't realize all that back in the day because, but that's what finally it wound up how big stars they became. So like I said, I got to meet this stuff with Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, I never met Carl Perkins, who I always liked his stuff. Uh, Got to meet Elvis twice. A friend of mine named Marty Lacker, if you look at the Memphis books, Marty Lacker and George Klein were part of that Memphis Mafia, is what they called them. But they went to high school with Elvis. And so one day, um, later on after our Gentries, and we didn't have the, the, that on that label anymore, we joined the label of, of uh, Capitol Records. So, <coughs> excuse me. So on Capitol Records, Marty Lacker got me at the Gentries a one record deal on that. So um, we went over. He goes, Look, before we go to the uh, do the recording, I want to go with you. He said, well, I got to go by Elvis. I said, okay. So I thought I was just going to sit in the car. So we drove up to Elvis, went through the gate. Uncle Fester out there. Hey, Uncle Fester. We go up to the gate. I sit in the car. He goes, come on in. I went, okay. We went in to the house. He got uh, the maid that worked for him. Hey, tell, uh, I forget her name. He goes, uh, tell, tell Marty's here. So we waited there for about 10 minutes in the lobby, in, the lobby in, the, in his house. And on the right side, there was a little dining room. And on the left side, the little kitchen or vice versa. And the steps came right down. So we stood right there waiting for him because Marty has something to give to him, some paperwork. So Elvis comes down. He had his shades on, believe that or not. And he had his uh, a long robe, you know, because I guess he just got up. He came down and goes, hey, Marty, where y'all going? Marty goes, Elvis, we're going to uh, cut a record on Jimmy. He goes, What do you got for me? He goes, Here's this paperwork. You know, gave him the paper. He goes, Well, Marty, call me when you get out. Good luck on your thing. I said, okay. And that was me El- The next time I got to meet Elvis was so sad because I got to meet him when he was in the coffin. You know, I was one of the first 50 people through line, George Klein, through my contact with him, got me one of the first 50 people to see Elvis in the um in the casket, which was very sad, but I can still picture it now. I remember his hands crossed. And he had that big TCB ring on his, on his hand. I'll never will forget that. Wow. And, uh, the name, the gentries was named after a condom, right? Well, <laughs> here's what happened. <clears throat> Boy, y'all know everything. Damn. Uh, very short, what, uh, what happened? It <laughs> <What> would <happened? Yeah. laughs> yeah. have been the Trojans. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> hey, well, that's a good, very good. Hey, here's what happened. We, were called the Gents when we first started. But the record label said, Gents didn't sound good. You know, sounds very British, you know. He said, why don't y'all come up with another name? So I was using the restroom at a service station on the way to one of our gigs. And I go there, and I looked in the thing, and I went, the Gentries. And I went, hold it. So I put a quarter in. I put it in the thing, pulled it out. and came back and showed the man. I said, look, look, here's a, a condom called the Gentries. And so I don't know if we all decided or what happened, but somehow it got turned into the gentry. So that's how it worked.
3: <laughs> it was Jimmy, crazy. I know I've had a crazy. Jimmy, you didn't. You didn't push the extra large button on that machine, did you? <laughs> hey,
2: for for me, if I was going to live in t ninety small, trust me. <laughs> hey, look, this is not beer. This is a. This is what it, this is what Hulk sends me every month. I get about fifteen cases of water. It was for my Christmas present. I guess he forgot to take it off the list, so I'm still getting it. It's called Mountain Valley Water, so it's not liquor. I want y'all to know that. Here it is. Hey oh. Jimmy, you, you've you've <laughs> never uh, you've never
1: drank or, or
2: done drugs, anything, right? No, I'm um, I uh, was able to fit in without doing that. I, I uh, never. You drank. wait, wait a minute. You
1: were in rock and roll and right.
2: wrestling, <laughs> and you never you never developed a vice. No, my, my mother made me promise three things Quote, She said, Jimmy Ray, please, for me. I said, what, Mom? She said, never drink, never do drugs or smoke, and never, for God's sakes, buy or get on a motorcycle. So uh, I kept all three of those, but I never drank, never smoked. We never had wine or whiskey in the house or nothing, and she wasn't a smoker. But um, even with a band, you know. If we were around different people that did the marijuana or whatever else, you know, I never got around it. I might have got contact high sometime and didn't realize it or, you know, or maybe didn't realize it, but I've never drank or anything. I've always felt like if people love you, I won't accept you. They're going to accept you for what you are. So um, I've always been, and everybody knows that. Nobody put pressure on me. Oh, come on, come on, do this. Or, you know, I was never left out of anything, thing happening. That's just the way I've always been. I don't go out preaching it all the time. I don't put a big t-shirt on and say, stay off drugs or, you know, or we hate school or whatever else, you know. So it's all good. Which is unusual because uh, Lawler's the
1: same. Lawler, yes. Both from Memphis both went to the same high school. Lawler's always been the same, just never cared to
2: be around booze, even to be around it, or, or drugs or anything else. Jerry is great. You know, I was with him this weekend, of course, stayed at his house, but uh, we were talking about how we first met. When he called me, uh, when I got off one of our tours, he called me and said, uh, look, Jimmy, we went to high school, like, I don't know if you know me. I said, oh, I know you for wrestling. He said, I know you for music. And so he said, um, I want you to help me with a wrestling album, if you will. And he said, I'll pay you for doing it. I said, no, I'll do it for nothing. And I, I love watching wrestling. So we went over the first session we had the guys there, the band members, passed by a big wine, wine bottle. And I went, well, oh, I don't do wine. And Laura says, I don't either. So then they passed by a doobie, you know, smoke, And I said, no, I don't smoke. Laura goes, I don't either. So that really kind of had us a bond back then because we did that. And he loved playing ball anyhow. So we always played softball or football or whatever on the weekends off sometimes. I just didn't play that one time when he broke his leg. <laughs>
1: them. What, what is a guy doing playing tackle football when he's the top guy in Memphis?
2: <laughs> you know what? It, it really put everybody in a really, really bad situation, especially Jared as the booker at the time, you know, and because um, Lauder was our top star. And um, we're trying great crowds with him and everything. And now for the first time, we're going to be left without him. So that's when Jerry Jarrett got a hold of me and said, Jimmy, we're going to make you the hottest thing in Memphis, Tennessee. We're going to feed you all this talent because this is the first time we've been out the king. And, you know, we're on shaky ground right now. This might not make it. And so that really made me panic because before I did it, I was just behind the King chewing gum going, tell him King, tell him baby. Yeah, baby. It's beautiful. You know? And that was it. So I don't mind telling you, I was really, really, really scared the first appearance that we did on that show. And, uh, because of God, I guess, and because of everything else, it just all clicked and worked and we were able to survive till he was able to come back. And, uh, jim jerry did not find it too funny when you had the line about what do you do with a horse that gets broken leg you shoot oh my god and you know what's so funny when we were eating the other day in memphis before we did the show i said king you know that wasn't my line don't you he goes i know it wasn't (laughs) i mean he he said you know i would never said i don't even think about that line i think Jerry jared's was really a great line if you're gonna draw money but um but I didn't think of it. I got kind of to admit that happened. But he said, no, I know you didn't. I said, I know. I said, well, you're so hot. He goes, why well, do you think I felt laying in the Baptist hospital? The TV shows going I said, well, we had to go on. You're still getting a paycheck coming in. You know, I said we had to make it work. And I just said, you know, so but I never I, when he broke my jaw, he had thrown a punch for, for like five months in the hospital. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt.
3: So. Oh, come on. Yeah, did, did he ever did he ever fess up that he stiffed him or was was did no? He Memphis always told me, he said it was an accident. Of course, a lot of the guys. I said, know Memphis back in those days. As was a lot of territories, guys worked really stiff, and you're you're coming right off a hot angle, you know. I thought maybe you know King, you know being King, you know I'm gonna lay it in, you know. Did he ever confess to you, or it was just an accident?
2: Well, you know what, his punches always looked so good. Anyhow, yeah, he didn't have to do it. You know, he's. He, well, you know that. But but here's a good thing that came out of that, too. Hold Right. I got a chance later on to do these angles with him where I had the, the Briscoe Brothers were in. Terry and Dory Funk were in. uh Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's, Hulk Hogan came in there. I got to meet Hulk. I knew Hulk just by me still playing the band, but going to see wrestling and meet with Jerry in the back, you know. And uh, like I said, I've never met all these big, big superstars and legends through the years that would come in and I'd get to manage them going. Billy Superstar Graham, who I just talked to a week or so ago, you know, I managed him down there. Uh, Jesse the Body Ventura, me and Jesse fought the San Diego Chicken. So uh, I tagged with him for that. So I don't believe that or not, but uh, I'd have never had a chance to do all that. So I guess something good came out of something bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and one of these days, King's gotta gotta fess up about that. King, King
1: throws one of the best punches in the world. For him to break someone's jaw, he was mad.
2: <laughs> well, that's what you're saying. I don't want him to hit the other side, please. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Good part about it was it's such
1: a it was such a punch. We're talking about it 30, 40 years later. <laughs> so it, so it, it
2: obviously worked. worked. It's kind of like the Andy Kaufman thing. You know, everybody thought that was real, real, real until Jerry finally confessed in one of his books, I guess about a year ago, that how it was all set up, you know. And and how did the the migration work? Uh, Jerry
1: wanted you to come in, help him with an album and and do the album. And then all of a sudden, then you start uh, managing wrestlers. Uh, At what point did you decide, I'm just going to do
2: this and not do music? Well, what happened originally, I started working with him and I started doing promotion. That's what I've always really loved just doing promotion, being the hype man, going out, the Barnum & Bailey. I've always loved that. And so I started doing promotion, window cards and stuff. Then I started announcing. Then I started running some of the towns. And then that's when he came to me and said, look, it seemed like the people really love you. He said, let's shoot this angle on Monday night where I've got a match with Dundee. Uh, I want you to go to ringside. I'm gonna give you a chain. And when I call for that chain, you'll know it. I want you to throw it to me in the ring. I can knock Dundee out, and I think we can go on TV and make some money out of you being in my corner and managing me. I said, okay. He didn't tell me when you throw a chain in the ring, you need to lob it up in the air, right? So people can see it when it comes down. So I'm at ringside with Lance Russell. Here's the match. Here comes the time. He calls for the chain. Buddy, I throw it like 90 miles an hour like a baseball. But lucky me, it hit the middle of the back rope. Wrapped around it. All he had to do was reach back. Bam. One, two, three. He wins. We go on TV that Saturday. Dundee comes out. Rips a butthole in me. You know, Jimmy Hart's the biggest bye, 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 this music guy. He said, I've got a guy here named Pat Hutchison. Pat, how many times have you wrestled this year? 36. How many matches have you won? None. Lauder, I challenge you right now. Jimmy Hart will not be able to be Pat Hutchinson, who hadn't even, who's lost 36 matches. Monday night at the Coliseum extra added Mac. Lawler said, we'll accept that challenge. I'm going, oh my God. Now Lawler, we go Monday, no rehearsal, no nothing. Lawler dresses me in a robe that's about three feet taller than what I am, dragging the ground, puts me in one of his Tarzan tights outfit that is way too big for me that I have to keep pulling the strap back up, gives me a pair of, of, uh, I think a pair of boots that Buddy Colt had given him as a souvenir. And I think they were like 10 and a half. I wear eight, right? And So I did it. So I go to the ring. I look like I got flippers on my feet. The the outfits keep falling off. The robes too long. But I go. Jerry Jarrett went there that night when we saw the film of the thing. He said it looked like Jimmy Hart had 36 matches and been wrestling because I loved the business so much and watched so much. And I learned I didn't want to throw a punch like the wrestlers. I didn't want to come off the second rope or third rope with an elbow like the wrestlers. If I got in the ring, I wanted, not every time, but trip sometimes going in. That's what I, I wanted people to realize. I couldn't probably do it anyhow. But that's why I've always wondered why managers want to be the wrestlers because if you do, you're not going to be as good as them. And I, I just wanted to be Jimmy Hart. So I learned so much about it that it really helped me in the match on what little match we had. Of course, we brought him over the corner. and Lauder knocked him out so I could get the pin with the feet on the ropes and everything. So, uh, But it just worked out for me, and, and like I said, I don't know what plane God has had for me, but He sure done a pretty good job of letting me do everything that I've loved. And then the music wise, doing the, doing the songs for, you know, some big companies. So I've been blessed.
1: Jimmy, had you been in the ring at all? I mean, have you done any practice or anything? Was that your first time in the
2: ring? First time in the ring, no working out. Lawler never took me anywhere. He goes, Here's how I want you to do this. I, I think really they hired me to be fired. If you don't know the truth, I think they thought he's going to be so bad. We can get rid of him. Uh A quick story too. I haven't told this a lot, maybe never, but um, while I was down there doing music for them, some music, uh, Jerry Jarrett had called me and said, look, I want you to do a song on Jimmy Valiant, and he said, Jimmy says he can't sing or not, but I want you to do it, so I got Jimmy at my house, and I wrote this song called Son of a Gypsy, three-chord progression, you know, it's like a blues-type thing, but a tempo you know, and so um, I brought Jimmy over, and I said, Jimmy... I'm going to bring you in. Here's what it is. He goes, we're going to kind of sing and talk the verses, but do it in your voice, that raspy voice. You know, I came rolling into Memphis, TWA, tell all the ladies, handsome, Jimmy's on this way, because I'm a rocker and a roller, a little funky, too. I was raised by the gypsies. I'm handsome, Jimmy. I'm so cool. That's just one verse. I'm not going to do the other. But uh, so he did it, took him in the studio, went down to the studio, cut it, came out good. Um, you know, had to get everything on it, went and shot a video on it. Police, the police loved us. I had a police escort taking us up there. We filmed it. Borrowed a limousine from the, from the uh, limousine company because they loved the wrestling. Brought, the, Let them do that. Went to the Orpheum Theater where Elvis used to go and do his private screenings for his movies. The people let me have that for nothing. Zero, zero. We had a low budget there. So uh, so I shot the video. Everything. We, we debuted it on TV. We sold almost 9,000 records in two weeks in Memphis, Tennessee on that song. And it really made Jim, because here's the thing about Valiant. When Valiant came in, he was a heel, but people really loved him. You know, his interviews were like, you know, Elvis Presley gave me this ring. Mick Jagger gave me this watch. It was all that gaga, goo goo stuff that everybody loved. And so that's what happened on that particular thing. And uh, we brought him in to do it. Well, then Lawler called me and he goes, did you do the song on uh, Jimmy Valiant? I said, yeah. He said, why would you do that for? I said, well, Jerry, Jerry Jarrett called, and he goes, "But well, Jerry Jarrett told me he didn't do it." And I said, "Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie to you, Jerry. Now, now I had been fired then too. Let me tell you what. I, oh, here's a quick. Oh my God, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Here's what happened when they hired me. Jerry Jarrett said, "Look, you're going to work for Lawler. Whatever he wants you to do, you do it. He believes in you. We're going to do this." I said, "Okay." So now this was before we did the the match. Okay, this was before the big match took place. So I went in. And so that night I was supposed to be running blah, Arkansas, promoter and everything, which I did go up and promote it. Well, that night in Portland didn't do that great. Okay, so Jerry blamed me and Lawler by doing the music. Lawler wasn't his main event there, so he wasn't in to the town. Jerry, you know how the promotion thing goes, right? So after the show was over, Jerry, Jerry, put me and goes, "I heard you went blah. No sir, I wasn't. He said, "Where were you?" I said, "I was doing the show with Jerry Lawler." And he goes, "Well, I know one day you're going to make me money, but you're fired." And I went, "What?" He goes, "You're fired." I said, "Okay, well, thank you very much." I mean, it broke my heart, really, if you want to know about it. I mean, it tore me apart. So I left. I went home. Lawler called me. And he said, what happened? I said, he fired me. He goes, why? I said, Jerry, in the room um, two months before that, didn't he tell me, I work for you. Whatever you want me to do, I do it. He goes, yes, you did it. And uh, and he, so Lawler called me. He said, no. He said, Jerry, Jerry, said he wants people that love the wrestling business and do it. And I said, well, that's OK. So then Jerry must have forgot about it because that's when he called me to do the music. So when I do the music, I didn't give him the tape back. So I kept the tape, the sound and everything. So, so I kept it, Laura goes, well, let me ask you this, Jimmy. Are you sure? He said, Jerry, Jerry swore us up now that you didn't do the oath, uh, that you did it on your own. I said, his damn camera crew filmed it. I said, King, you think I'm gonna call his son-in-law the Camp Randy West and go, Randy, will you send the camera crew? I just got fired, but can you send the camera crew down for me to do it? He goes, you're absolutely right. I said, Jerry, I've never lied to you. I'm not gonna lie to him, I'm not gonna lie to anybody. I said, if I never do this again, I said, matter of fact, I don't know if I want to be in this business. I said, this right here really hurts because I love this. These guys work so hard, the promoters, everybody. But I said, if this is the way a promoter is going to turn on you and do this, then I don't want to be around this. I don't really want it. So I hung up. So then Jerry called me, called me, called me. He said, look, this week we're going to go to Blywood and I want to talk to you about getting you back in the business. So that's why I said, I didn't think they really wanted me to make it. So Lauder came up with that plan. I gave them the tapes back. I did the thing on Monday, but they kept me on because I didn't screw it up very bad, you know. And and I think that's what really happened on it. That was the other part of the story. But all that's true.
1: (laughs) Wow. So (laughs) you had, you you worked for Lawler, but you also worked for, but
2: Jared had the ability to fire you at the same time. Because Jared, because Lawler worked for him. And he's the one that told me to do it. That's what I hate about it. I don't mind if somebody says, look, here's the way I've always felt about this business. If the promoter goes, Jimmy, tonight we're going to paint you yellow, I'll go buy the yellow paint, okay? If they say we're going to strap you, I'll go buy the strap. I'll try to get the strap, thinnest strap I can so it won't hurt too bad, but I'll do whatever it takes to make it back. I remember being up in uh, WWE when George Scott and Vince gave me $1,000 to go buy every flower in the flower shop so we could put a flower shop together for Adrian's for the moment that night, live TV. So I went down. I bought, I got the film to bring me a thousand dollars worth of flowers and pots. I went and got the cinder blocks, set them up, put the boards across them to build them up high so we could have that behind us. You know, just a, uh, a spur of the moment deal that would look good. Um, I've I always been into that. Adrian, how are we going to lead into it? Well, how do you what do you want to do, Jimmy? I said, what do I do like um, Johnny Carson? Why don't I bring you on? Like, and here's adorable Adrian. Then you come out and do your thing. He goes, I like it. Cause I never wanted to over my, overdo my men. I've always felt like a manager is kind of the hood ornament of a Cadillac. And we're there and it's, and it's important, but the, but the wrestlers, they're the ones that are most important. When Vince gave me the megaphone to use, he, he brought this back from Japan. Vince did. And he goes, I want you to use it, but use it periodically the right time. Yes, sir. He didn't sit there and tell me, don't do this or don't. He's always, Vincent has been great with me about do this or do that. And gave, gave me carte blanche, I, I guess you could say. So I knew that if my guys were, were selling or getting heat, if they were selling, I try to get to get the crowd going, you know, if they were if they were on the bottom and getting their ass kicked. But but if they were winning, I wasn't gonna get them guy, you know what I mean, and take away from them. I've always believed they were important on my matches, whether it was a honky junk man, cherry funk, dory funk, earthquake typhoon, anybody. What do y'all want to do? You let me know. I'm right here. Y'all put it together and I'm here for whatever y'all need. Jimmy, on this fight, we need you you got it, baby. And that's what I always took pride in doing because your managers are there for the wrestlers. If you look at a lot of my interviews, I always stood, if the, if I was kind of their same height, which was very rarely, rarely but I'd always stand back right behind one shoulder where I was peeking around a little bit, but to make them bigger than life, you know? And I, and I always, because I always worried about that because I wanted to be bigger than life. You know, that that's a rare trait. You know, the people that get it, really
1: get it. You know, that your ego is in the show. Your ego is not in yourself. And that's kind of hard to do sometimes to put over everything else, sometimes at the expense of yourself. You know, Vince McMahon is much the same way in his matches. You know, he never did wrestling moves. You know, and he was capable of doing wrestling moves. It was always just kind of a fist fight. Just like you said, when you wrestled as a manager, you wanted to wrestle as a manager, not as one
2: of the boys, you know, which no, is you're a right. completely different dynamic. You're right. And look at Vince. How can you turn him down for anything? He's had his head shaved, been beat with kendo sticks been in beer fights, everything in the world. I mean, been with belts and everything. And so if he goes out, does it, you know, how can you turn him down? You know, that time that he
1: was in the ring when Steve Austin pulled the gun and it had the the pop flag come out. Yeah. And Vince used the bathroom on himself. Ron Simmons was in the back and he looked around and he goes, what are you guys going to say now? (laughs) Because if Vince is willing to do that,
2: (laughs) he's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. No, I, lo- I love Ron. Ron always tells it like it is. He said, "Y'all were so good together, too." I love that. But uh, you know, like I said, I've never had anything planned for anything I was going to do in my life. You know, it's just that oh Lord above. I said, "Jimmy, we're going to put you in music." Had that run. It was starting to tinker out a little bit, getting pretty tough. You know, when you're trying to handle six or seven people and you don't have a hit record, then you start playing the clubs again. Hey, the more you drink, the better we sound. Happy birthday to you. You know, and so um, it just everything fell in the right time right place and and uh and then my dream came because i've always loved this business and when that when that phone call came through for lauder and then i'm down there doing tv and then i get a phone call from hillbilly jim and hillbilly for for hillbilly worked for us he was harley davidson but for for, when they took him up new New york he was hillbilly jim so he goes to new york he calls me go jimmy he goes you know, the WWF's been trying to get a hold of you about uh, coming to New York. We got a show in two months called WrestleMania. Now, back then it was only pay phones. So I remember calling home when I was in Louisville, called, you know, back to my house and go, hey, have I had any phone calls yet? You had this, this, this? And they said, a Vince McMahon called from, uh, uh, the said he called it. It a 203 area code. And I went, oh my God, that's a joke. That's probably Austin Idol, want me to pick him up at the airport and give him a ride to TV. I didn't call the number back. So a week later, I'm in Evansville, Indiana. Go to use the payphone at the hotel outside before we call before our did the matches, called home. Same thing. You had a a phone call from George Scott, WWE. They said they wish you'd call him, never called him back. But you know, so finally I get home, Hillbilly Jim calls me. He goes, Jimmy, what are you doing? I said, No, nothing much, just here. He goes, uh, I said, our show was canceled this week because of snow. And he goes, Um, the WWE has been trying to get up, WWF has been trying to get a hold of you, and uh, You won't call him back. And I said, I thought it was surreal. And he goes, well, look, Howard Finkel's fixing to call you in a minute. What happened? Howard Finkel had been watching all the tapes. And he saw me in Memphis, went to Vince with it, And he said, let's bring him in. And so that's how the whole thing got started. Uh, They said, sit by your phone. Vince is going to call you in 30 minutes. Vince called me. And, of course, back then, and Jerry, you know this, all the territories We're like, oh, my God, this Vince McMahon's taking all the talent out of all the territories. This is going to crumble. This is going to fall. And there was a lot of heat over that. So I couldn't tell anybody about this phone call. So then Vince called me, got on the phone. He said, you know what? We'd like to have you up here. We like what you do. Uh, Would you be willing to come? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, can you fly up here tomorrow? I'm like, oh, uh, yes, sir. I can. But I've got to be back Saturday to do TV because, Lauder is in Japan and Jerry Jarrett's on a hunting trip and I've got to run TV. So they gave me all the tapes. He goes, well, you know what? If you'll be that loyal to them, I know you'll be that loyal to me. Definitely get on a plane and come up tomorrow. Now listen, we weren't flying anywhere. I didn't have no frequent flyer mileage. So they put me on the phone with the damn um, lady that books the travel, right? She goes, Mr. Hart, would you like to fly? I I forget what it was, Northwest or all this, all these airlines are no longer with us now. Uh, I said, ma'am, whatever you put me on. She goes, well, which one do you have the most frequent flyer mileage on? I didn't want to tell her I didn't have none, you know? So I said, ma'am, I'm I'm just happy to be going. You put me on what you want. And then once I get to the airport, I'll put my frequent flyer in. I'm trying to think as quick as I can. So whatever they put me on, I I went there. George Scott picked me up, went there. The next day I meet with Vince and I said, "Uh, Mr. McMahon, I know you've heard this before. I'll be on time. I'll be dependable. I don't do any drugs or drink or whatever. And so, he goes, Well, that's good. That's a good start. And I said, Yes, sir, it is. He said, Well, I think we can do several things with you. He said, First of all, I definitely want you to manage. I think you can bring a lot of enthusiasm to some of our starts that we've got. And he said, uh, I heard you do music too. And I said, Yes, sir, I do some music and, um, and everything. He said, Well, we'll figure it out as we go along. But we got this big show, WrestleMania, coming up. And I'll make sure, I want to make sure you've got some talent on that. I said, Yes, sir, thank you. And he said, When can you start? And I said, uh, I just need to start. I could start next your next tv and that was like a week away and so that's how we did it so then i went home and i told plowboy frazier who i was managing because i knew he was squeal like a pig man and so plowboy he goes he tells lauder he goes, lauder man jimmy Hart, ain't, jimmy Hart's leaving he's going to join that music group back again i told him i was joining music right the gentry so lauder calls me go jimmy i heard you're leaving i said yeah king is you? why are you putting the band back together i said look, I'm not, I said, I'm fixed to go to the WWF, WWE now. I said, King, I don't want to lie to you, but I'm fixed to join the, uh, go back to uh, this other company and do this, go with it. And he goes, well, Jerry Jarrett's going to be upset. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't have a contract, you know, because they didn't know contracts back then. It was all word of mouth. And so, um, so Judge, uh, Jerry Jarrett, uh, so Lawler called me back and said, Jer, Jerry Jarrett, he said, he's suing you and suing Vince. I said, you know what? I'm going to sue him for impersonating a wrestling promoter because I said last week <laughs> while you were going snowing on the truth. I said last week, snowing <laughs> on the ground, they made us drive all the way to Lexington, Kentucky. And when we got there, there was a sign on the door saying wrestling's been postponed, which I knew it in the first place. And we drove all that way. Four of us, me, the dream machine, the iron cheek. And, uh, I think, uh, killer call crew. We went all the way up there. Nobody notified us. Nobody did anything. And I said, That was the last straw for me, King. I'll always love you. i always do it. But I've got to go, you know. And that was it. Then they tried to get me to do a loserly town where I was going to be in the corner of Eddie Gilbert. And and if he lost, I was going to lose. Hell, you know what would happen that night? Forget it. I said, I'll do the interview from here saying I'll be there, but I'm not. Case flow. And so uh, that was basically it. (laughs) Did Jared actually sue you? I'm sorry? Did Jerry Jarrett actually sue you? Oh, shit. (laughs) No, are you kidding me? (laughs) <laughs> no no i didn't have no contracts and jerry i love jerry we've been friends forever he, and uh you know whatever in town i always go by and see him he's very very smart and i've always i've always said this i've had two of the greatest people in wrestling to help me and that was jerry Lawler and hulk hogan i've had two promoters in my life i've only had two that was jerry Jarrett and vince mcmahon and so I like i said i've been blessed you know then i went down to wcw you know, I had my little run down there when Hulk went down there, and, and Eric was always very good to me on everything. Eric Bischoff was good to me, and on everything he let me do music down there. Matter of fact, Eric and I said this in, in my Hall of Fame speech too. Eric let me have the Saturday Night Show. We only had it six months before they closed. You know, Vince bought the territory, but I I was able to do that for uh, for six months, and uh, I loved doing it. It was great. Me, Tony Schiavone, and and Terry Taylor jumped in on it. But I, it was my thing, and so we just put all angles together. Hell, one of the biggest things we drew on was was uh, uh, we had uh, oh my god, Hacksaw Jim Duggan against the Cuban assassin, right? And we did a two point two point three rating off that thing on a Saturday up against football. You know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "What?" You know, everybody was so excited over it, and
3: uh, yeah, it was just crazy. Jimmy, Jimmy, let's uh, let's go back to Elvis now. You, you, you'd met, you'd met Elvis. Uh, Was you aware that Elvis and Jerry was trying to set up a karate versus the wrestling match? Well, well, you know, I heard that years ago uh,
2: through the grapevine. It's like some of Elvis's um, uh, clique, you know, our our Memphis mafia or whatever you want to call them was trying to set some things up where Elvis was going to do, um, uh, you know, come out, maybe get in shape and do a karate thing. With Jerry, it was just kind of in the talks, you know, about trying to put something together like that. But I was definitely well aware of that. And that was before I even got in, you know, into the wrestling part. I was still doing music back then. But that's one of the stories Jerry and I had talked about before that because of my connections over there and his connections over there. Elvis, uh, I saw an
1: interview you did somewhere that he, he snuck into some of the uh, buildings. Back. Elvis was a wrestling
2: fan, right? He loved it. He loved all of it, you know. he would They would kind of get him in and up in the top of the, uh, because you can go up to the top of the Coliseum up there and kind of get up on those uh, ramps they have and kind of watch everything from down there, you know. So he would kind of sneak over there and do that. You know, another wrestling fan, Jerry Lewis would come
3: by the shows. Uh, uh, Elvis was a really good friend, from what I understand anyway, from Sputnik, because I used to make road trips to Sputnik. Sputnik used to tell me stories about him and and Elvis going out all the time, so that kind of all rings true where he was such a huge fan that he became friends, but right? he befriended a lot of the, the old time
2: yeah. wrestlers around. No, those. you're
3: right. I, I love, Sp- let me tell you what, I love Spuddy
2: Monroe. When I was doing music and I went to Sun Records, Knox and Sam Phillips, were well, Knox Phillips and Sam's son, one day they called me and said, look, you needs a ride to ride the Blah Blah and on this before I got wrestling, right? I didn't know anything about good guy, bad guy, heel, big face, whatever, right? So me and my friend Ronnie Thorne, we wore our black T-shirts, we rolled our sleeves up, we had our our little saddle Oxford zone, our tight little blue jeans. I going to look so good, man. So we took Sputnik over there. And on the way over, Sputnik goes, look, let's stop at this beer joint over here. I want to get a six-pack for after the show. I said, okay. I pull in. And it was all an African-American beer joint there, right? And I'm going, oh, my God. So Sputnik walks in. And he goes, who is the roughest mother, you know what, there. And everybody went, you are, Mr. Sputnik, you are. I mean, they, he loved him. They lo- and so we came out, and I'm going, oh, my God. So then we got in the car, and we went to the gig. We parked right out front. Sputnik goes to get dressed. He got a stick. We're sitting right there at ringside. And I kept wondering, doing the damn match, I felt something kind of hit me and bump it up against me, and, and somebody threw a piece of gum and stuck in my damn hair, and I'm going, what the heck? This is a rough place here. I didn't know, because when they saw us for Sputnik, they thought that, we, that people hated us to be with him. But we didn't know it. We're just eating there, eating our popcorn and drinking our drinks, and you know, people bump around, nudge into us and, you know, come up and give us a favor. And I'm going, what is that all about? I mean, I didn't know. I was so naive. Then we went out to the car. and Then I realized what it was about. We had one flat tire, mud, big old beast mud. It had been raining in. Big mud thing stuck all over the car. So we got the tire changed. The, the, uh, the police helped us through the tar- tire. So uh, we finally got back until I got wrestling. I still, he just smart me up. I still didn't know what it meant, but I love Sputnik. He was great. Sputnik uh, did a lot.
1: I'm sorry. Spudding did a lot to integrate uh, wrestling audiences, right?
2: Yes, sir. He did. And I'll tell you what happened. And he told me this story. He said, Jimmy, he said, let me tell you what, we worked on a percentage. He said, so I got with the wrestlers and I told him, look, we should be able to let everybody that comes in because the more people that come in, the more money we make. So why should we exclude a certain race or certain religion or certain anything, you know? And so that's how they finally broke the barrier down to let everybody get in. And, and the guys were right because it was all making money, you know. sure was. And Sputnik was one of the big pushes behind that. He, he once
1: got a ticket, right, for going to an all-black bar um, and actually had to appear for a
2: court in Memphis and refused to back down. Oh, yeah, you did, and, and it caused a lot of heat, but it got a lot of publicity out of it, too. It's also at the same time Hutton was going around, he went to a, a county fair to the rodeo. And this old guy was over there bragging about the rodeo. You probably heard that story. He's going, I can beat any restaurant. And Sputney goes, Oh, yeah. I'm Man, Sputney hit him. Then he, Putney goes, Oh, my God. He goes, I know I'm in trouble. He told me, he said, I knew I was in trouble then, Jimmy. I said, Why? He said, Didn't he fudge you? And he hit me with a punch. He said, Like to knock me in the two horse stables over. He said, So they built it up where he was going to fight the cowboy, right? And Sputney went on TV and said, He sucker punched me. He sucker punched me. He did one of those tricks, said, what's on your shirt? When I looked down, he hit me, you know, which really didn't happen. He hit me. But uh, Sputnik was great. I remember one time Sputnik was managing down there, and Sputnik said, Jimmy Hart, trust me, I know you're managing, but remember this, age and experience shall overcome youth and enthusiasm. And I said, well, Mr. Sputnik, I'm working on both. I'm working on, I'm getting older, so I'm working on the age, and the more I'm around you, I'm working on the experience. He said, that's a good question. That's a good answer. I said, thank you. (laughs) I was told, Jimmy, that that cowboy that uh, punched
1: Sputnik, they were going to book him in a match with Sputnik, and then the cowboy ended up backing out
2: because he thought he was being set up, and Sputnik was worried because he thought the cowboy had killed him. Right. That's <laughs> why we both of them were scared of each other. It was, you know, it, no, it was right. But like I said, being with those guys back then and, and going to the matches and, and like I said, being with Jerry and just uh, – I mean, when you think about this, think of just in Memphis. Here I'm breaking in. All of a sudden, handsome Jimmy Bay, New York City, right? Joe LaDuke, Killer Carl Crew, Terry and Dory Funk, the Briscoe Brothers, even though it was a one time appearance, but being with them, being with Paul Ellering, which later on became a major star with the Road Warriors. Uh, I mean, just uh, the Iron Sheikh, the Richard, Iron Sheikh who came to Memphis and went to New York. I managed him there. King Kong Bundy down there. Jim the heard it in Memphis before I went to New York. I mean, and I'm leaving out, and Austin Idol, of course, I love him and just so many people. But I, my whole thing has just been, you know, I kind of look in the mirror and go, did I really get paid for doing this? And it's just, it's
3: been the way my life's been. And don't uh, forget to the young man that came through with that long blonde hair, that Terry Bolea guy. Oh, my God. You know, I talk with him so much,
2: sometimes I leave him out of everything because we've been, you know, people said, how long have I known him? We've been together for 43 years. Wow. And and they said, how has it lasted? I said, I've never borrowed money from him, and I've always told him the truth. how I feel If he comes to me and asks me something. What do you think of this or that? What about? I've always told him what I feel, whether I'm right or wrong. I always tell him, not that he's going to do it, but I've always told him the truth, and I've never borrowed my, not a nickel from him, my whole life. And he'll tell you that. I brought a bunch of kids one
1: time. I'll tell you a hoax to Oh, yeah. That's uh, yes. right. They were filming, I forget what it was, one of the Tough Enough or something like that. And he had all those stars around. Hulk was the only one out of all the stars. They all waved and were friendly. Hulk came over and met all these kids that I brought over from Bermuda. A lot of them had never been off the island. Sat there and took pictures with all of them. But he was the only one that had done that. And he was by far the biggest star in the room. And it was just really cool. He made every kid there feel special uh, on that trip. And they talk about that to this day. It was really
2: cool what Hulk did. He's always been so gracious with the kids. I remember when we would do the make a wishes things back in the day. He'd sit down with them, rub their arms. He goes, "I've got to get some strength. I've got to get some of your power for my match coming out." You know, I've got to get this. This helps me out. This will really help me. Help me. And uh, but he always takes the, took the time and still does. You know, we've done a lot of the boys and clubs, boys and girls clubs this past year, and uh, you know, he's he's just he's different. He's special. He really is. He's always been just fantastic to me. One of the first
1: times I asked him for something, we need something for like a little YouTube show we were doing, just for fun. We we're doing it at WWE, and I, so so. What I'm asking, he goes, "Whatever you need." And it was just that easy. It was. He's always been so cool with uh, around us and around everybody that I've, I've
2: brought around him. Well, you know, it's so funny. I was telling everybody about the time I was sitting with Vince, and we were in Pittsburgh. I started to say Pensacola, Florida. That wasn't happening. I was in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. So we were in Poughkeepsie, New York, right? I'm sitting right before we go on. We're, you know, we filmed 25 matches that one day. And so right before we went on, we we're sitting there. And um, he said, you know, Jimmy, I'm looking for my next attraction. Hulk's the biggest name we have now. We have great people, but that, he was our draw. You know how the territory used to be. Everybody wasn't a superstar back then. You had your superstars, then you had your up and coming superstars. But but you had to earn it to kind of get there, you know? So we were sitting there and he goes, I'm looking for my next attraction. Somebody that can walk through any airport in the world and even a casual wrestling fan will go, Oh my God, look who it is that barely watches TV. But they know he's got a look or certain presence that he is somebody that I can take him, give him a push for about two months, two or three months on TV. I can put him on a uh, to Today Show, The Tonight Show, and they can hold their own with the host and not embarrass the company, then I can get my head of a push and they can make me a million dollars in merchandise in the one year period. Hawk had it, The Rock had it, Stone Cold had it, John Cena had it, you know? And it's just hard to find those people that have that special something that people relate to, you know? And, and there's other people. I'm just talking about those particular ones right there for WWE. You know, Dusty Rhodes had something special in him, you know, with his interviews and everything. The Undertaker with that look and that entrance and just everything. And just people like, oh, my gosh, The Undertaker, uh, Triple H, the way he looked and the way he come out in the song, you know, and, and everything. And then when he got up there and he looked at her and did the, the water out of the mouth, it was just something special about all these guys and just they just gravitate you you know sean michaels with a super kick back then one super kick he won the match he that's all he did was one and um especially the match with him and rick you know when they did the rick flair thing when that camera shot showed showed uh, sean going i'm sorry i love you you know what a great moment for me it was you know but i remember all those things you know i still hey look i watched TV, every, every time TV's on, I watch it, you know, I watch Raw, I watch SmackDown, I watch the, uh, the NXT kids, you know?
3: So. Jimmy, Jimmy, all- you, you have a special uh, friendship with, with, uh, Hawk. And, uh, how, how did that come about? And I, I know, I know, you know, you got met originally in Memphis and then, then, then you, you, you continued your, your friendship in New York. When you went to New York, uh, for the WrestleMania one? Did did you guys automatically bond again, or did did how, how did that trust? Because you know Terry <laughs> Terry being, being what he is, he gets taken advantage of by so many, and not Ooh. only fans but but guys and and, and the business. And uh, for him to 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 rely on somebody and have the trust like he does in you, uh, it's special. And and how, how did that bond begin? Well, originally what happened in Memphis, the first time I met him,
2: I was doing the music. Lauder brought me down there before I went to play at the Ramada Inn. You know, the more you drink, the more we sound. Hey, 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 you know. Uh, So uh, I stopped by there before I went down there. We didn't start till nine, so the matches were early. And one night in the ring, he goes, Jimmy, you see that big, I'm looking through the little mesh screen in the back with Lauder, he goes, you see that big guy in the ring? I said, yeah, his name's Terry Bollea. What do you think? I said, man, he looks big, he looks impressive. So he says, he said, this guy just asked me to do uh, what I like to manage him on the road. Like, in other words, getting bookings and everything else, I'd give 10%. I said, you're going to do it, aren't you? And he goes, trust me, he'll never make a dime in this business. And I went, what? Now, I remember that every time I tell Jerry that, he goes, I didn't tell you that. I said, of course you did. But uh, so I met met him back then, didn't know him that well. Then uh, we met back in New York. And he goes, oh, I thought you were coming in to manage me. And I said, no, I'm coming in to be a, you know, heel manager, I've got King Kong Bundy, who I had in Memphis, and Jim Nighthart on the first WrestleMania. To this day, the first WrestleMania and WrestleMania are three are the things that I cherish forever because I was on the first WrestleMania, which a lot of guys can't say they were, and I had King Kong Bundy against SD Jones, and I had uh, Greg Valentine against, we um, uh, were supposed to be Tito, but we had Junkyard Dog, and then we shoot an angle. So that was always a thrill for me to be part of that. But then uh, WrestleMania three, of course, those three big matches. But uh, Hup, we, we were up there. We didn't travel a lot together because Babyface healed. But uh, but we bonded up. I'd go to his house and stuff and do all the little parties with him and everything and help set him up. And then we cut a wrestling album together, the Wrestling Boot Band. And we did it. So we've always bonded doing stuff. And then he'd take me on a lot of the trips that he'd go on. Uh, he'd say, well, I want, I want Jimmy Hart to be with me for this because he knew I didn't drink. I didn't do the drugs. And I didn't like to be around any of that stuff that was doing it. And I'd, I'd always kind of spot the people that I wish somebody could have done it for Elvis. If somebody done it for Elvis, he'd still be alive. If they had real people around him saying, look, Elvis, you're gaining too much weight. You don't look healthy. You know, you can't, you know, but they were afraid they would get fired and lose their paycheck, you know, and that's why Elvis is dead today. But with Hulk, he'd always, we'd always sit and talk about a certain thing. What do you think about it and try to make it better or just, uh, you know, he'd, whatever he thought to do that's what he did and Jimmy you're still working with him now right with the, with
1: the bar there in Tampa does he come down regularly how, how, is, how oh. is Hulk doing now you know I know he
2: doesn't do a lot of media and stuff but how's Hulk doing now well he's doing a lot better he's um, you know still after 12 back surgeries and hips and knees he's doing so much better he's been taking this therapy every week uh, and it's been really improving him more and more so he can get up and get about pretty good now. Still looks good, you know. Always got the hair, always got the tan, but upper body unbelievable. And so he always worries about his lower legs. I gotta work my legs today. Work my legs. I said, oh please. And so I said, but hey, he Hulk, hey as Hulk says it's an upper body business. <laughs> right. I know it. it it is. And he always looks apart. And um great interview still can do an interview like the drop of a hat and knows what to say, when to say it. And he's such a magnet. People love him. No matter where we go, it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's crazy. And uh, it's uh, so funny. But we uh, uh, we go down, I, I go to this little bar every right now and then and help him. Because we want me to do karaoke there as a guest karaoke guy, you know. So uh, I'll probably do that pretty soon for him, whatever I can do for him to help him. And uh, And, uh, you know, when WWE calls, we go running for them. You know, we've been on some of those uh, special shows. We went to Saudi Arabia twice. We went over there. That was a great experience. We went there for that. And then we uh, uh, do side projects together still. And, um, you know, like I said, I've just been blessed to be associated with the people I've been associated with. It's been crazy. Jimmy, how
1: was uh, WrestleMania 1? Like when you got to the building, when you got to the garden, I mean, you got Liberace there. You got Muhammad Ali there. How what was the feel at WrestleMania one? Did did you realize then that this was a seminal moment in wrestling history?
2: Well, it was such a shock to me because you forget I came from Memphis, Tennessee, you know what I mean? Like Andy Copper would say. So I'm up there, I'm just happy to be there, whether it lasted. And then what a lot of them told me, they said Jimmy, what if it only lasts one week or two weeks that you're up before they let you go? And I said, Well, probably the best two weeks I've ever had. So I went for that. And I walk into Madison. And I'm with Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine saved my life. I didn't know anything about the New York thing. I'm like, what? You know, but I rode with Greg everywhere. He took me under his wing. And yeah. it was just great. And I knew King Kong Bundy from Memphis. So I had him on the show. So I felt kind of in with everybody. And I and so I had the iron sheep there, too. But here's what happens: I go in. And I was just amazed. I look at the arena. And I'm going, now I really, real what it's really like to finally make it in this business to something that is so, so spectacular. And I go in, I look at everything, then I'm going the back, I found my little corner. I didn't want to overdo and say too much to anybody about anything, even though I've been there about six or seven weeks before that, doing the TVs. And everybody was great, really. But then when I see Liberace, and I'm going, whoa. And Dick Clark's there, whoa. You know, matter of fact, I had my, this is sound corny, I had my Gentry album, my first Gentry album. And I got him to sign. I've got an album signed, our album with Dick Clark on it at home. So I got him to sign it. So I got him you, it back to my he, back.
3: Did I'm he remember? Did he remember you from uh, the gentries from a- oh my god, he remembered the gentries, probably not me
2: personally, but as a group, the gentries, he remembers everything. He remembered the show we were on. He said no, the show y'all did, you were on with Roy Orbison, and we were. When I first saw Roy Albert, I was like, Oh my god, Roy Orbison. oh my god. But we did the show with Roy- They filmed two shows every every two weeks, you know. So, uh, but uh, going back to the other. So now I go in. There's Liberace. There's Mr. T. There's Billy Martin, big baseball fan. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like, oh my god. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So then I'm going, okay. I had not got a lot to do on these matches, but I just got to remember what I am doing. And then, buddy, we hit that audience in Madison Square Garden, and oh my gosh, if you look at the the tapes of them now it is spectacular. The people are just so up in the, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And like I said, I, I wanted to hurry up do our matches so I could get back to watch the main event. And so we had monitors back there. So I got to watch all that with Cindy Lopper and, and Lou and everybody and just Mr. T and Paul Orndorff. I love Paul and uh, Piper, you know, we did legends house together. I didn't know I, I was with Piper a lot, but I didn't know him that well until we did the show legends house with everybody. And I got to love him, man. He was so real. And so, I mean, crazy, but um, I don't mean to be jumping off the bandwagon here, but uh, like I said, the more we talked, the more I realized, man, I have done a lot of stuff having a Dead gun. <laughs> just so, a few uh, things.
3: I, I guess it's better to years. be
2: lucky than to be good, I guess. So, uh, but uh, just that night was so spectacular. And I don't think I really realized it until now. Uh, can you believe this is WrestleMania 38 coming up? So I was 38 years ago, I was on the first WrestleMania,
3: 38 years. It's amazing, Jimmy. I, you know, I was, I was I was doing promotion at the time down here in Florida, as you remember. and uh, But, uh, you know, some of the guys tell me how, how much WrestleMania has really progressed, not only from one to 38, but that first WrestleMania. John, guys were flying in that day. Worked your <laughs> mat and went out to LaGuardia and called an airplane and went back home that day.
2: Yeah,
3: wow. wow. <laughs> no, you're right. Both of them. He, now it's, what, two weeks long.
2: <laughs> I know but you know what, too, Jerry. I, I meant to mention this while ago too. This is true. With the, with the tag teams we had, some of the hill tag teams I had back uh, in Memphis, they would always, Lawler always go, "Look, if we had some film, I'd like to show you how the Briscoe brothers work." Because he said, "I want to tell you something." That night, the teams that we had, they go out and watch their matches, you know. And so uh, that was a compliment to you and your brother. And uh, I got to tell you this when I managed them in Memphis, uh, you will not believe it, JB. all here's what happened. They come to the ring. They probably had a few brewskis before they got there. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God. You got us. But I know it probably was. But no, I had to get another one. I took y'all back to the hotel that night. But let me tell you so I'm going to the ring. I'm a nervous wreck, anyhow, to want to please them. So we get out there, but on that match, they had me strapped from the top of the ceiling in a little bungee cord with a harness around me because at the end of it, they all got five minutes with me. Now, so what I did, so they were on the ring apron and his brother would run and he could lean over and push me where I'd go right across and go around in a big circle, right up the audience over the people's heads. And I'm like, oh my God. I said, if I get out of this, I never want to do this again. But that, But it turned out great, of course. But it was just, you didn't know what you were going to get when you had the Briscoes. <laughs> you think? I meant, oh, <laughs> my God. I hadn't
1: changed it hasn't it, John? No, not at all. i never know what I'm going to get with the Briscoes.
2: <laughs> oh, hey, Jerry, here's a quick story. You probably remember this. And I was saying it for the right reason. And my feelings were hurt so bad. We go do a local TV show, me and Randy Savage. At one of the shows here, Jerry is the promoter down here for, the, for WWE. We go do them. And out of respect for, you know, to me, if you go on last, you're the main event, right or wrong? Right. We had a two-segment thing, me and Randy. So I said, uh, Randy comes in. I'm there early. I'm there. And I said, Jerry, listen, if you want me to go on first and make Randy the main event, I'd be more than happy to. He goes, Jimmy, listen, Randy goes on first because you'll never be as big as him. And I went, Jerry, I didn't say I was as big. That bothered me because he took the wrong impression. I I'd never be as big as Randy. I just meant out of respect from him, I don't mind going on first to build it up for him to come on, And after it's over, Jerry goes, no, I didn't mean it that way. And I said, I didn't either. Of course, Randy's bigot. I'm the one that, let me see going back to that story. Let me tell you what happened on that. If I may, I'm in, I'm in uh, Memphis getting ready to catch a flight to Lee. Uh George Scott called me and said, look, we want Randy Savage. Can you go by the studio and talk to him before you get on a plane and come up here? Cause we were doing Madison square garden. I'd already been up there. And I said, uh Well, you know they don't like me very much over there, but I'll try to figure out a way to do it. Well, we need to talk to them. I said, okay. So at the time, Randy was selling Amway or Amshack or whatever those things were on the side, making money, right? So now I get off, I go and I call Mr. Coffee. He said, TV, live TV. I said, Mr. Coffee, Jimmy Hart. He said, Do me a favor. I said, Can you tell Randy I've got a buyer that wants about five hundred dollars worth of Amway? And he goes, Okay, I'll get him. I'll tell him to call you. So Randy jumps on the phone. He goes, He calls me before they go on. He goes. Oh, yeah. What's going on? I said, listen, Randy, if you want to bury me, go ahead. But I will tell you the truth. I just talked to George Scott and uh, they like you so much. They want you to call him to see if you would like to come into New York. Is this a shoot? I said, I swear. He goes, OK, I'm going to meet you after TV over on Summer Avenue by the gym. I said, OK, so my flight went to like four o'clock. Anyhow. So Randy comes all the way over there after it's over. He gets in the car. He makes me get out of the car and pass me down like I've got a wire on me or something. I'm going, what are you doing? He goes, I'll Go see if you're taping this. I said, Oh my God. <laughs> so now I, I get, I get back in the front seat. He gets to the back. Okay. Tell me what the scoop is. I said, look, George Scott called me. They love your tapes. I'd like to bring you. He said, you think they would bring Lanny? And I said, cause he goes, you know, if I leave here, you know, he won't be nothing anymore. And I went, I don't, I said, Randy, all I know is my job. They saw your tape. They love you. They think there's a place for you up there. He goes, what about Liz? Because he just, you know, and I said, I don't know. I, I said, Landy, all I'm asking, I don't have a wire on me, I don't have a tape on me, and I'm just doing this for you. So I'm glad we met, but you here's the number right here. They're expecting you to call them. So Randy called him. The next thing you know, I'm picking him up in the airport up there. And he took a Greyhound bus up there. I took <laughs> a bus up there because they didn't want to be seen flying on planes or stuff incognito. He had a ball head on him, Lanny and uh, Liz. I pick them up. So that's when we shot the angle about everybody's going to be Randy's manager. And at the last, you know, they come out and make Liz as manager and got a place for Lanny too. So that's how that really worked. It sure did. So wait a minute. He got, you got in the front seat. He got in the back to talk to you. Yeah. He got in the back seat. He thought I was wearing a wire and he <laughs> made me sit in the front where he was behind me, search the car, search me for a wire. on me like, I'm really going to take the thing. And I'm going, Randy, I, I'm doing this they asked me to do it i worked for the company and they just love you and they saw your tapes and they want you however think we'll look at all those tapes you know so that's what happened sure did and when you first went to wwe did you first start with jim johnston
1: doing music Kind uh, you know you you wrote some terrific music you know from sean michaels sexy boy to the honky talk man and the bounty uh, did you first start working with jim when he first
2: got up there no, Jimmy was in charge of all the music, which does a great job, you know. And so I didn't I didn't even know him. I didn't I didn't know anything about the music. So what happened? Dave Wolf came to me at WrestleMania, who was managing Cindy Lauper at the time. So he goes, Look, I know you were in the gentry He said, We're fixing. I'm trying to work a deal to cut a wrestling album. I'd like for you to have a song to go on it. Have you got anything, I said, Well, I got this little demo called Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield. I sent it to him. He called back. He goes, That's the hit. That's a hit song right now. Rick Springfield's hot. He goes, that's a great hit song. He said, I want to cut it on you. I said, OK, great. So I went up there and we cut it uh, with um, with Cindy Lauper. She sang back up on it. And uh, what's the guy that did? Hang on, Sloopy, Hoopy, hang on. Um, God, I can't think of his name now, but he he did Hang on, Sloopy. Uh, he was a major star. So he played, he produced the album on us, Who?
1: The
2: McCoy's was the man. Yeah, he was in the McCoy's, but I can't think of the um, uh, I can't think of his name. He um, uh, but I'm sorry, I got this. I'm knocking this call out one day. But uh, so he he um, uh, he sang on that, and um, uh, we had it, and it was going to be one of the singles. So we put it on the album. He loved it, and then when the next came up, album came out, I had three songs on there, and so I was just happy to be part of it. So then Vince came and said, "Look, I want you to do some of these. I like a variety." He loved Jimmy. Jimmy did great stuff, but he said, "I want to have a variety on it." And I said, "Look, my stuff's more the come, come, com- comical type songs, you know, like the Mounty. So we first did the Mounty thing. I went for Jock. Quick story on Jock. He goes, "All right, let me hear it." I go, "You know, I'm the Mountie. I'm happy. I'm gay. I'm free." And he goes, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute!" And I said, "No, that means happy. I mean, you're from France, over they're happy, 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 happy. Oh, okay. So, so we did that, and then." Um, and then of course we did Sean Michaels and Sean. When I first did Sean Michaels' song, uh, he had his uh, uh, valet singing that Sherry Martel. So then when she left, Vince wanted Sean's Michael voice on it. So I had to tape. So we were in Texas somewhere, so I had to book, book a studio, take Sean in up there to do it. Uh, so they sent me the tape uh, from New York. So I went in there and overdubbed his voice on it. And of course Sean goes, "I can't sing. I can't do this. Said, this is going to be great." He went in and knocked it out. Maybe one or two takes, but we didn't have a girl singing backup on it like I had down there. So I had to sing the backups uh, and I tripled my voice three times, going, sexy boy, sexy boy. So we tripled that three times to make it sound like a girl. So that's me really singing the girl's heart on it. But you know, that song's had over 3 million um, Spotify plays on that particular song after all these years. But Sean, they wanted later on, they wanted Sean to change his music, but I love you, Sean. Sean goes, no, I want to keep the same song I came in with. And he did, buddy. So, um, And then we did the Million Dollar Man song. I got Ted to sing that. We did uh, uh, the Road Warriors. I got Hawk to put on, whoa, what a rush on the front of that song. And, of course, Dusty's Here's Dusty. You know how Dusty is. Uh, so Dusty goes, look, Vince came to tell me he wanted you to cut a song on me. He said, I want you to cut one, too, but this is what I want. Briscoe, you know how Dusty was very articulate about it. So I said, okay, what do you want, Dusty? He goes, well, I want some African-American girl singers. Okay, you got it. I wrote it down. He said, I want some horn players. Okay, I wrote it. I got it down. He said, you know, I'd like to have a cowbell on the front of that. Okay, cowbell on the front. I said, what else? He goes, write it about the common man. And I said, okay, write it about the common man, cowbell, African-American singers and horn players. I said, Dusty, why don't you just write it yourself? You know what you want, he laughed. <laughs> so I went, put it together, brought it to him. He listened to it three times and he goes, I love it. I love it. And he gave me a big hug and we went with it. And I've always been so flattered on that song when he plays it, when he would go to the ring with it or play it on anything. I was just so flattered to have the American dream, wrote a song for him. And then we wrote American made when the Hulk left WWE. We didn't use the eye of the tiger, a real American. So down there, this is when we did American made for him. So, and we went, you know, a lot more too, but, uh, but Johnson was great. Uh, but we just made, ours a little bit more cartoonish or for like, if you're going to be a heel, I didn't want to write something that was happy or whatever. You know, we wrote something that would fit in with Ted DiBiase. So that was so important on everything. Rick and did Derringer you was do the uh, best. Oh my God, Honky was great. Honky. That was, was great. that was the best.
3: That's my, that's my all-time favorite there. Well, you know yeah. what happened?
2: I love I love all that other music. Honky talk to me was just that that was the best song that there was. We did everything, and Honky sang all of We did everything to fit him. We did the three big ones. We did Honky Tonk man Song. We did a, a hunk a hunk a honky love. And yeah. you ain't nothing but a honky dog baby. And so uh, we, it was just great. But honky was so special. I had him in Memphis as the kisser, the kiss gimmick down there, and the blonde bomber. But um, then he went to Pensacola, then I went to New York. And when he came in, they we got somebody you're going to manage up there. And I said, who? The Honky Talk Man. I never even heard of Who? Honky-tonk man. I went, okay. And then when he came in, I went, oh my God, it was just great. It was like a marriage made in heaven. Really. We cut in Memphis. We, we, uh, George Klein got us to do all of our videos at Elvis place over there at the Graceland. So it was just great. But honky was so great. I mean, I love him. He's always been one of my favorites.
0: Let's take a time out here. And while we normally have a lot of fun on this show, this is a pretty serious topic. Life insurance, specifically Goliath life insurance. Let me give you a pro tip. We're all going to die. So before you get a visit from the undertaker, think just for a second about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow with life insurance from goliathlife.com. What we're really talking about is protecting what you've worked so hard to provide for both you and more importantly, your family. You see, life insurance isn't about you. It's about those who matter the most to you. Sure. You do a great job taking care of them now, but who would do that if something awful happened to you? I just lost two friends in the last year and a half 142 with two kids. The other 46 who left behind a wife and three kids, thank God they had insurance. And Hey, I hear you. Nobody wants to think or talk about life insurance. Think about this. You might not get in a car accident, but you have auto insurance. You might not get sick, but you have health insurance. So we'll protect our car and we'll even protect ourselves from like crazy medical bills, but will we protect our family? That's what life insurance means to me. Peace of mind. Goliathlife.com streamlines the life insurance purchase process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers all at the same time and at the same place. Goliathlife.com. You'll do a fast and easy application and have multiple quotes within minutes. And oh, by the way, Goliathlife.com has solutions for every budget. And maybe best of all, you pick your terms and payments at Goliathlife.com. Once you pick your price, you can start the online application immediately and check this out. You can even schedule the medical exam to happen in your home. You don't even have to leave the house to do this. And yes, I have done this. I sent someone to my office. It was fast. It was easy and it was unlike anything I expected. I got to skip the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations, and even the multiple visits to the doctor's office that we all hate so much. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. Goliathlife.com promises no hidden fees, no upsell, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands, on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at Goliathlife.com.
1: Look, we're all adults here. I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum lozenges and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? My family and friends that use nicotine, this is what I will recommend is the Lucy products. If you enjoy using nicotine, You should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code JBLGB, JBLGB at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit Lucy.co. And
3: be sure to use that promo code JBLGB. Jimmy, you just brought up something that in the course of, of your answer there that, that that is just so unique to to Jimmy Hart. You you you. Most managers at with WWE or WWF at the time had one guy that they managed, but you had a whole stable. of I mean, you were one of the original guys that had a whole stable, you walked out with. Four or five times a night were what some of the managers kind of took took offense to it and said, Jimmy, you well, shouldn't be. Doing that. How's, how's that story? I'm, I'm
2: going to tell you a real story here, but I, I'm not going to use the names of everybody because I, I love all of them. And I don't want anybody to go out. Oh, Jimmy Hart said this or said that. You know how the Internet is and everything else. And so but here's what happened. When I first came up there, I didn't mind going out or four times tonight but I guess a lot of the managers have been used to going to the ring taking their jackets from the managers and going back and getting on the uh uh and going back home while the matches were still going on unless they were asked to stay at ringside and so they said Jimmy you get knocked around in every match and beat up on every match and he said you keep going out you won't have any heat here before it's over and you'll be gone in three or four months and I said well look I like going out. That's what I did in Memphis. I'd go out three or four times a night. And I think if you're going to be on TV with them, you need to be at ringside with them, whether they win or lose. You know, it's not about win or losing to me, it's being part of the package. So when they came to me to do it, I still wanted to go out every time they asked me to. Them. If Vince asked me to go out for this person, and I was flattered they put me with that many people, you know, so I'd go out with them and I'd come back. i just put freeze and shine on my hair, fix my hair back up. It got messed up. Paul Mitchell. And then I'd, Changed my jackets like I was a new character going back out. But I thought it got a lot of heat. Hey, I just got beat the heck out of this match. I'd come back. Oh, man, like the energized money. We can't kill this guy. No matter what we do, we can't get rid of him. It's like a pimple on prom night, you know. No matter how much makeup you put on, you just can't get rid of it, right? Oh, my God. So I go back out. But it worked for me now when you see all the, the, um, the videos and stuff on our network. You know, I'm out on about everything and you didn't make any extra money for doing it, but it's just something I want you to do, be part of my team to be part of whatever they wanted to do with me. And, uh, I remember a quick story about Pat. I love Pat. Pat was great. Pat loved singing karaoke. He'd come down to the beach bar all the time and do karaoke. But one night Pat came to me and he goes, look, he said, Vince wants you to do something with Dino Bravo. He's going to put you with Dino Bravo. And I said, Oh, wow. And I didn't mean it. know while I didn't want to, but, uh, I said, well, let me think about it because I wanted to think to get him a right gimmick in my mind, what I thought would work because it's a lot of pressure. So, Pat came to me an hour later and goes, Vince is really disappointing you. Now what disappointed in me, he goes, he acted like you didn't want to be with Dino. And I'm, what? I said, no. I just like, oh, wow, let me think, let me think. I'll do it. He goes, okay, I'll, I'll go tell him that. I said, oh, my God, Pat, please tell him, I, oh, my God, you know, I'm thrilled. So, then that's when I found this old Back of a wrestling magazine, there was a thing about how you build your muscles with that muscle guy. You remember Hercules or Atlas, I think it was Atlas. So underneath it, there was this circus type thing. Guy had the big wristbands on for weights up here and up here. A big giant belt going around his waist when he because they were claiming Dino was the world's strongest man, right? So I'd hold that up, hold the belt up, I built him a cape, and we bleached his hair. I don't know why I've always liked to bleach the hair. So we bleached the hair. Hey. So we bleached Paul Every's hair. We bleached his hair. So now we did that. So we got him up there, and we made him the world's strongest man. So then we did the music for him. Then I had my jackets made with the Florida leaves on them to be like him. And that's when we shot that major angle with earthquake being way up in the stands up there and I, and me making the challenge. Anybody in the audience, that think they, they can uh, – Beat Dino Bravo, you know, get on his back and let him do push-ups. Come on down. And that's when we did the thing where we saw a big earthquake come down. Boom, boom, boom. And we shot that big angle. That's when we turned on the ultimate warrior. And it, it took it from there. But I, I loved Dino, but I had so much fun, got to create his outfit that we used with a cape, the hair, the, the armbands going up, and the big thing around his waist. So, so it worked good. And then, Pat, and then Pat comes back. He goes, you know, I was ribbing you on that. I said, I didn't know if you were or not. I didn't want to take a chance on it. <laughs> of course he was. Oh, yeah,
1: right.
3: Oh, my God. Hey, Jimmy, what and happened and also, with you? What's that, Jerry? I I, said I, I was just going to bring up uh, – go ahead, John, and I'll bring up Adrian I was going to ask you about Dino Bravo before you on. I want to hear, hear the story about adorable Adrian Adonis, how, how, that, oh, great. how that came about. Okay. Jimmy,
1: first, uh, the, the bench press with Dino Bravo. I've never heard the whole backstory. Did, did people think he was going to make that bench press when he was going to be the world's strongest man when uh, well, Jesse
2: Ventura pulled it off of him? Oh, yeah. I, you know what? I don't know what the people really thought one way or another, but I know the big thing with us is when he actually came down there to get on his his all fours to do the push-ups, when we did the thing with Earthquake, and then we that's when the Warrior came out to do his thing, and that's when we, did the, we had a major program against him. It was good. On the bench press thing – I really can't tell you. I, I really don't remember. I remember us doing it, but I don't remember too much about what we were truly trying to do on it, you know?
1: Yeah, I think the story was he thought he could do it. And for, you know, whatever reason, you know, you're going for basically a world record. And, you know, he, he didn't get it. And uh, <laughs> then Jesse. Oh, oh no. It off oh, yes, yeah. Oh, no. Let me tell
2: you what happened. I'm sorry. I'm going to suck on this lemon drop here. Um, I, my voice is getting kind of hoarse. But look, here's what happened we went out and we had it going. So we had a backup. If you can do it, great. If you can't do it, you know, then we'll, we'll the tip of the hill thing, you know, know, I'll pull my nard, pull them up, you know, whatever. So that we had a backup just in case on it, but I don't, I don't think he was going to be able to do it anyhow, because that was a lot of weight, but it it was one of those things that happened that you kind of build up through the years and everybody kind of has a little story to it, you know, makes it a tall tale. (laughs) Right. So, uh, the adorable uh, Adonis. Well. We get to TV, and we're doing a show called Tuesday Night Titans. And uh, we get there, and I forget the gentleman who used to work for Vince that was on all of our TV production stuff. Um, God, I wish I could think of his name, but he was there for the, for the show that we were doing. When he came in, he goes, "We um, came in and brought us in. He goes, Adrian, you and Jimmy come in my office. We thought, oh, my God, what have we done now? So we go in. He goes, Adrian. We've had such a great run with you and done it, but I think I've got an idea and, I, and only one person I know that can pull this up. That's Ben's the greatest line. I'll tell you in a minute about Dustin. There's only one person who can make this work and that's you. Hulk Hogan can't pull it off. Ric Flair can't pull it off, but only you. Okay, he goes, we want to make you adorable Adrian Adonis. We want you to come out of the closet. We want, we're going to bleach your hair. We're going to put these pink tights on you, pink everything. And Jimmy, you're going to be with him and make yourself real flashy too. Okay. And that's how we did it. And I said, look, Vince. I said, I remember when Gorgeous George did this years ago. He had a a helper that go around the ring to spray the ring with a can. I said, can I go out and buy some of those uh, spray cans that you can use a spray can on them? I'll paint it gold. He goes, yeah, it's a great idea. So that's how we'd go out. and I spray the ring first and all the turnbuckles and everything, put a little perfume on it. So we did it. And that's how we did the flower shop when we got into the flower shop to make it. So that's how we shot the whole thing. And this guy, he comes up to Vince and he goes, Vince, what's the con he was pretty head writer on the thing, not writer because we didn't we used nothing was scripted back then. I mean, everything was just done periodically. You know, we didn't have script writers or nothing. And he goes, What's the concept of that? And Vince goes. The concept is I want to do it. I've got, I can't think of that guy's name. but uh, <laughs> So me and Adrian got back to the back and went, whoa, you heard that. Let's make it work. So we got the pink tights and everything. And he carried the flower in his mouth, did the did the flower pit, flower shop, and did everything because Adrian, for his size, could work, brother. Yeah.
3: Without a doubt. He 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 could go. What,
2: let me tell you one last, one last story of this, too. I remember he was late for a gig that we had one time later on, and Chief Strong was there. And Adrian comes in and goes, Chief, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I'm late. I know I'm late. But let me tell you what happened. I'm leaving uh, Texas, I'm mean, California. Uh, he said, I'm leaving California out there. And he said, you won't believe what happened. He said, a flying saucer came across the thing and landed behind the hills, and they blocked everything off. And that's why we are late. They wouldn't let us through it. He goes, Adrian, that's such a great story. I'm not going to find you. I'm not even going to put it down and make sure that uh, and keep that to ourselves. So it sure did. I remember we'll forget that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> one, one more uh, song story.
1: Did did uh, the the rapist crap? Oh my did, God! You, did, did you yes. did
2: you do that? I'm sorry. Was that you that, that got that? Yo, yeah. Here's what happened. Down in WCW, we had Cardini, we had um, Rotundo, we had um, a couple of the. I can't think of the other kids. Bar- Barry and Kendall. Yeah, Barry and Kendall. But all of them are great workers, would you agree? Or very are Barry and Bobby, what are the Barry and Bobby, maybe Bobby Dunkel Jr.? Yeah, but everybody, I think whatever, whatever we had, it was all they were all great workers. So I went to Eric, listen, Eric, look, I've got an idea. Kurt loves to sing, I think.
1: I've seen Jimmy, I don't mean to cut you off, but I've seen Kurt get up on John Anderson's concert so many times John Anderson almost called security on it. He would get up and sing, and John Anderson would go, Oh, everybody, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. And then Kurt would get up again, Oh, everybody, Mr. Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. About the fourth time he'd get up and
2: like, oh come on, come on. <laughs> he I, mean, I mean, heard that for, Yes, he was great. And I loved him. So he said, I said, look, I'm I'm writing the song, we're gonna fight uh, there was a rap group out of uh, New Orleans, that that we had a big match against. I can't think of uh, God. I can't think of the rap group's name now, but I'll think of it later. Big big. Name Who? Insane, insane Clown Posse. No, no, what? No, they were, I love those guys too. No, what? Insane Clown Posse. They, they were out of Detroit. This was um, a rap group that had done a lot of stuff. Um, big big a lot of time music, but I, I, I'll think of it later. Hopefully. Um, Hey, Polly, my friend Pauly said, "Polly, look up that rap group out of New Orleans. Uh, it, it, try, try to find it if you can. Uh, more, more all right. So here's what happened. So now I write this song. I said, Eric, I think if we put all four of these jazz together, we got two mixed tags. We've got four individual singles that would give them the exposure. And he said, I'm writing this song called Rap is Crap. He goes, Rap is Crap? I said, yeah. So I wrote it and I, I brought, I brought um, Kirk into the studio and he knocked it out and did it. We went, they gave me the camera crew. I went and shot a video up in Nashville on it, and part of it in Las Vegas, and we had all this rap and scrap stuff, put it out, and I'll be damned. It got over. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so this company had called about putting it out for a single. But here's, what, here's what's weird about Turner, uh, TBS and TNT. They own all of my songs down there, right? Me and my, we, own the pub, uh, we own the writers, me and my writer, but they own the publisher. The publisher controls what they want to do with the songs. So we had all that down there. So when Vince bought the catalog, he didn't buy the uh, the uh, writers or publishing. So that's why when you see a lot of the work up there, whether it's Jeff Jarrett's song or Dusty Rhodes and all those tapes, you hear just feed in music on it, just incidental music. You don't hear uh, anything on it that I wrote, but they still own everything now. They could use it whenever they want to, but they, they own everything. So what happened, we go in, we do rap crap, we put it out. So then this company wants to put a single out on it, right? I thought, oh, my God, we got a single. This is unbelievable. And, th- and they started playing it in Nashville. But uh, Turner and them didn't want to uh, put it out as a single for whatever reason. You know, so that died like that. But they did a great match. Uh, they had all these matches with this. Uh, group. I can't think of this dead gum group. It's on the tip of my tongue. But um, so that's how that all took place. But he loved it. He loved singing. He loved doing that more than anything. But he sure did. That group was so entertaining singing that rap is crap.
1: It was it was such a fun. You know, Kurt, you had some great Barry Windham and Kurt Hing,
2: Bobby Dog, you all these guys in there. It was just so entertaining. Well well they let us do it, Eric uh, let us film it for one of the pay-per-view things. So I brought him out with the one of the paper, I think it was the night that puck fought Goldberg, and I think earlier in that show we had a, a musical concert with that on there. And I just the people loved it. But I loved about it is because all four of them were individual great wrestlers. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, it just made sense to me. But that's the story of that. But I love Kirk Kirk's great. It was great, man. Awesome. Hey, Jimmy, one more thing for I know we're we're running long, but
1: I got to ask you about Andy Kaufman. Oh, my Uh, gosh. I was watching a video this morning getting ready for this interview where you and Andy were, okay, one, two, three, go. And you would go and Andy wouldn't go. And then you you would stop and Andy would go. It, you guys
2: worked so well together. How was it working with Andy Kaufman? He was unbelievable. Here's what happened. He was a little strange but unbelievable. Uh, Lawler shot the angle with him first. Then they put me with him because Andy had this common routine that he'd do at ringside before he started. And, you know, it's like going to church at around 12 o'clock, everybody's stomach starts growling. We're hungry. I hope the preacher helps ends it at 12 noon, right or wrong. So now Andy would go to the matches, he'd start jumping around, doing this comedian stuff, you know, at the ringside, you know. And then finally, uh Lawler would go, You know, we gotta put somebody with him. Get him. See, I want you to be with him. And when you when I give you the egg, you make sure he gets his butt the ring. Okay, you got it. So now we do everything. And uh, so they put me with Randy. So we do this, you know, have a great run going on. So like anything else, it runs its course. So now Jerry wants us to have a beef against each other. So we started off by going by having a, a handicap match against Jerry. So we get together. I'm going. All right, Andy, blah, 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 blah. you get in that corner. I'll get it. when I count to three, we'll both charge you. One, two, three. This is live at the Coliseum. So one two three, I charge. I think Andy's coming, but I'm not looking over. Lotta grabs me, gives me up. Hey, Andy, look! Boom, pile driver. Oh my god! I, I, I crawl back over to my corner. What happened? What did you? What's wrong with you? I yell at you, and you're over there looking at your watch. You know what? Come on! I'll do it one more time. Lotta's over in the corner waiting for it. One two three. I run back. I look. Andy's supposed to be going. He's not going either. Lotta turns me around. I'm boom, boom boom. Oh my God! I go back this time. Yeah, but get me once, get me twice, but not three times. So now, this time we start running together. I run part way with him. I stop back up. Randy goes. Andy goes over. He gets the pile driver. Now that starts our big feud. We both get beat up. Boom boom, 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 boom. Piled on top of each other. The whole thing. So now, on live TV on Saturday morning, we go out there. Now Andy had a thing. I don't know if you saw the little scrimmage fight with us or not, but yeah, I, I did. Part of, okay. I watched, it, I watched it. this morning. It was it's so entertaining. It's all about swinging everything because I couldn't touch him because he had this million dollar bond that he can't get hurt on the show TV company, right? On the show that he was doing, so we couldn't do these. We couldn't do these. These, you know, I couldn't hit him or do anything. I'm like, okay. So we just went out there and had a pull apart slinging contest, falling, flipping, flopping, and everything. But we came back. We drew a hell of a crowd on that Monday night of me and him fighting each other. You know, eleven thousand people. So, you know. It was great. It turned out great. It really did. But I was so blessed to be with him. He'd come to my house and stay. Matter of fact, I had a pair of his sunglasses. We did on our that one of the shows that we did about memorabilia. But uh, he uh, he was just great. I remember one time after the show, he his favorite wrestler was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, and he loved Elvis. We'd have to go by Elvis's house at night, sit out there for thirty minutes just to watch the cars come by Elvis, and get out right on the on the wall with chalk, and he got it and took a, a and went out with chalk and rode on the road on the big door. You know, Andy cocked and I said, Andy, you know the rain's gonna wash that off. He's I don't care, I just want to know I did it. But we do that, then we go eat at Denny's. And usually we go to Denny's, the people would co- recognize they come up and go, Jimmy Hard, I won't get your autograph. Andy, I want yours too. And he'd go, well, I ain't, you ain't getting mine until I get my food. I said, But well, you're getting mine now. Then and Andy goes, What did you do? it? I said, Andy, who knows what they might do to our food back there if you don't sign it, you make them unhappy. He goes, Okay, ma'am, come back, come back. So he'd do the autograph for him, but he was great. He was great. I loved him. One time in Louisville, we did a match with him up there after we did the angle in Memphis where he was taken to the hospital. So Lawler did almost the same, same finish about six months later. Andy wouldn't get out of the ring. So I go to the back. Lawler goes, Where's Andy? I said, He's still laying in the ring. People around there beating on the apron and stuff. Go well, get up, get. And he Lawler goes, You go tell him that if he doesn't get in the ring in two minutes, I'm coming back out. And he said the pile driver he gets this time will be like no other pile driver he's ever felt in his life. <laughs> I went back and I leaned over him, And you gotta get look, Lauder just told me it's gonna be like the power driver you've never had in your life. Boy, he got right up from it. Okay, I'm up. We came to the bat. said, Don't ever people see the same angle and it'll kill our angle we did before, you know. So, but he was great, he really was.
1: <laughs> it was such a great time in history. I mean, that that angle was one of the best things in television. You know it, the, the moment on Letterman was in the top twenty five when TV Guide did the top twenty five moments in television history, and that
2: moment was one of them with Andy Kaufman. It was it was that big a deal. It just it was so entertaining. Well, you know, I was at Laura's House when uh, when they called about them not using Andy. They were, Andy went up there to be used, uh, you know, maybe something Vince Senior wanted to do with it, but he didn't want to use you know stars on anything. So when we brought him back, they called, he made the phone call down to. Uh, to Andy, I mean, to Lawler, and uh, Lawler goes, what do you think? He said, you think, we should? I went, oh, my God, Taxi, are you kidding me? And uh, so that's how it all came about. So we were thrilled to have him in there, and it did great business for us. You know, it's unbelievable. Like I said, you know what, when I look back, when I do stuff like this for you guys, which I hardly ever do a lot of because I'm so scared of what I do on a podcast because everybody takes, they make everything sensational. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You know, this guy did this to make people tune in to him. I don't know why they do it, but it's nowhere, what? you really say, but then people get offended by it. So that's why when, when Jerry called me about doing that, I said for y'all too, I'd love to do it because this is great. But, but it was just, you know, I don't want really to get caught in a catch 22. You know, it's, uh, yeah. so, it's like I said about when they said, who should be on route, uh, Mount Rushmore hall of fame? I said, I'm just saying what Stone Cold said on, on, on busted open. Stone Cold said Rick Flair and Hulk Hogan had to be the first two on there. So that's what I'm going by. So that way he gets the heat, not me. I love Stone Cold, <laughs> by the way. But, um, uh, but but. My main thing, I just, looking back, what y'all are talking about, I'm just kind of thinking here, too. And I'm so sorry I got this deep throat thing. I got three shots today to knock it out. I me step into the damn big puddle of water at Lawler's show this weekend. But uh, but uh, like I said, uh, this has been great. You know, just talking about Andy Coppin, talking about Elvis, talking about all the people that I've been, but it'd be a social, even Ric Flair. You know, I got to manage Rick on a couple of, one thing in Memphis show that never took place. But then when I went to New York, Bobby Heenan was managing Rick. But one time Bobby had a pinched nerve in his neck. So for a week, I got to manage Ric Flair Ric Flair against Hogan. And we did all these trips together, right? And I'm t- it's the biggest thrill of my life, being in that ring, listening to Ric Flair come out to all the booze in me, going in the ring, and then hearing Huck come out to Out of the Tiger, and us standing in the middle of that ring. It was such a great moment for me. I don't know how it was for them, but for me, it was unbelievable. Here's Rick, here's Hawk, and here's Jimmy Hart from Memphis, Tennessee, you know, only a high school education, raised by his mother. You know, it's
3: just, like I said before, uh, it's, been, it's been a blessing. It really has. Well, Jim, Jimmy, I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I always hate this. You know, somebody asks you the question, "Who's your favorite wrestler?" or "What's your favorite match on all time?" But I'm going to put you on the spot by asking you this question: You're Mount Rushmore of entry music. They don't have to be what you've you've written, but but uh, preferably what you've written. What What are your four favorite entry music songs that that you've heard out there? Well, off the
2: top of my head, it would be it would have to be, of course. I look at people who drew the most money you know, off their entrance, but their interest songs were part of it. I felt like the undertaker would have to be on there because even though it's just simple bell, boom, boom, still, you got to go with that. You got to go with triple H drew a heck of a lot of money. And I, I love that song that they, uh he came out of the ring too, you know, and, and I thought that was great. Also, uh, uh, I was looking at something here. By, by one of my assistants that helps me on my stuff, and I, I, those those two things really, uh, you know, I love. He's above uh, everything. And, I agree. And, and of course, and of course, drawing the most money too. I always think about um, Hulk Hogan. You know, with with the um, real American. You know, that drew a heck of a lot of money. But then I, I'd have to maybe if I can put one of mine on there, it'd have to be Sexy Boy, but Shawn Michael. I loved them all, but I if I could, if the fans would let me put one on there, and I put it last. Sean Michaels, you know, but, uh, but all of them are so good. But, but uh, Johnson was so great doing all this up there. And I was just blessed to, for them to come out and just ask me to be part and do anything, you know? Well, Jimmy, you've had such an incredible
1: career and you're still going, which is awesome. But don't you've been, me, under, please. Oh my God. But you, you've always been such a, such a pleasant person to be around a good friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And, and when Jerry told me that we're going to get you, it was, uh, I was thrilled to death. I thought this is awesome. You get Jimmy the Jimmy Hart, the Mouth of the South, on the
2: show. Well, you know I love you. You know Jerry Lauder told me something. When I, what was the name of the show we did for you for WWE? When oh, you had legends with, uh, legends with JBL. Right. I, I had the honor of doing that, and I, and Jerry told me he called me the next day and said JBL was on the plane with me and Vince, and I was going back. Y'all took the plane back somewhere. He said, JBL said, I couldn't get Jimmy Hart to say anything bad about anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) right. That's Jimmy. He just, you know, it's just. but that's the way I really feel. I mean, you know, everybody has opinions of everybody. You know that. And I'm sure a lot of people have just, I'm probably disappointed people myself. Not intentionally, of course, but I just want to be one of the guys that can make it through this whole world of this wrestling business and music and everything and and just try to do the right thing for everybody that we can do it for because life is just too dead gum short. You know, and so I just uh, I just, you know, that's that's just me, you know, and everything else. Like I said, I've been so blessed to be with with WWF, WWE, of course, you know, blessed to be with Eric did a great thing for me down there working with WCW. And let me tell the story, too. That was never planned to leave uh, the WWE. What happened? Huck and I left to go do uh, Thunder in Paradise while we were doing Thunder in Paradise down there doing the TV show for 26 weeks. That's when Eric and Flair and them came through and said, hey, look, we need, is there a possibility of maybe you jumping over and trying to get this thing going? Because I think Ted Turner said, look, we got one more shot of doing this. That's when we used the uh, that pay-per-view, and we called our contacts in, Mr. T, and and everybody at Shaq came in for us and everything to try to make that thing work. And it was so successful pay-per-view. That's where they they realized they could make something out of that. But it was never a pre planned doing it, you know? So- you know, it's just one of those things where it took time off because I've managed all the heels up there, everybody for so long that I ended up doing, going with Hulk. Well, after Hulk, there was nobody to manage, you know, the Ultimate Warrior was the hottest baby face and he didn't need a manager, you know, and I sure couldn't run to the ring as fast as he ran to the <laughs> ring. So uh, that was going to leave me out. But look, I love y'all. Jerry, you know how I feel about you and your brother. Yeah, I've been so blessed even to be associated with y'all and all the spirit you have. And JBL, what can I say, baby? I love you so
3: much. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for for sharing your time and your 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 background and your history today. It, it's it's been a it's been a hell of a road, man. Let's keep, keep it going. Well,
2: I'm sorry about being a little hoarse and having to drink this mountain water on here. It's not liquor. <laughs> so thank y'all for bearing with me. I love you. <music>